Welcome to Horticulture Hangover on News Radio KLBJ. You're in the right place to get answers to all of your questions about your lawn, garden, trees, and more. Now, here's your host, Colleen Dieter. Good morning, everyone. This is the Horticulture Hangover Show. I'm Colleen Dieter with ATXGardens.com. I am a landscape consultant, so I help my customers by alleviating their anxieties about their yards. And uh, this morning, as is true of every Saturday morning, you can call or text me with your gardening questions. The number is 512-836-0590. And I hope you'll call in with questions or you can text me at that number too. If you have any questions about trees, plants of any kind, any kind of landscaping question, go ahead and give me a try. Um, I had a great Thanksgiving, very relaxing. I had a little staycation. And I've been doing stuff around the house, um, took some time off from work, which is really nice. And I finally got my irises planted after I dug them all up to divide them a couple of weeks ago. And I'm the ones that I wanted to keep, I got them all planted this week. And, uh, you know, it's a little challenging putting them back in the ground because they have really long roots and the uh, bulb part of the iris needs to stay up close to the surface. So you have to kind of make a little mountain inside of the hole to plant them on. And it's a little bit tricky. But I got that done this week and planted some other items uh, that I've been looking for for a long time. I found finally found some shade uh, mist flower. It's blue mist flower, and there's lots of different kinds of mist flowers. This is the one that's low-growing, um, more like a ground cover type that can grow in the shade. And it's kind of a hard plant to find. I've been looking for it for years, and then uh, suddenly saw it at two nurseries this week. They were at wholesalers, so sorry, folks. Can't help you to get them unless you hire me to get them for you. Um, so, but I was delighted to find them and put them in my yard and, um, they're going to attract a lot of butterflies. Um, I have another type of mist flower in my backyard that's blooming now. Uh, that's the bushy blue mist flower. And recently I learned it's also called crucita, um, as in little cross because the shape of the leaves and the arrangement of the leaves are arranged in a cross. So um, I'm just, you know, delighted that they're blooming right now. And I'm so glad I just got a text message. Text message. And this listener says, yes, more advice on iris thinning, replanting, please. What do I do to amend the soil? What light conditions can they handle? Okay, great question. So we're going to go back to talking about irises. Um, if you can text me, listener, and let me know which type of iris you have, if you know. Um, I have a bearded iris. They are 
iris albicans. They're the old Texas cemetery irises, they're called, because people used to plant them in cemeteries, and um, they don't require a whole lot of care uh, to keep growing. But they will stop blooming when they get crowded. And so because they'll reproduce asexually by uh, just having sprouts off of their bulbs um, and they'll get crowded that way and they won't want to bloom. So, yeah, what you need to do is dig them up, um, pull off the bulbs. Uh, they're also known as rhizomes. Um if they have any holes in them or if they have insect chewing marks, um, the holes are where there were used to be old roots and the roots died. Uh, there'll be little perfectly round holes. And good, okay, this listener wrote in and said, mostly the irises are from old, homes, old homesteads. I've had them in pots for years and years. True crowded, not too crowded, not blooming. Got it. Yeah. So they're the same, you know, similar type to mine, the old Texas homestead type. So, yeah, what you'll want to do is take them out of the pot, pull off the sections of the bulbs. You can just cut or break or twist them apart and you'll pull off the sections of the bulbs that have holes in them because they're not going to bloom again. And then you'll see the bulbs that are left will have, you know, fan-shaped leaves. And you'll want to pull apart the fans and so that each fan section has a chunk of rhizome or bulb attached to it. Okay. And um, pull those apart. And then what I do is I dig a trench and in the middle of the trench there's a little mound um, and then what you do is you set the rhizome on top of the mound and you spread the roots out on either side of the mound so that the roots are kind of trailing down the little mound and then you fill the hole in uh, you fill in the trench with soil and you want the rhizome, the top of the rhizome, to be above the soil. So the soil just comes up right around the rhizome, and you don't want to bury the rhizomes. Okay? Um, I had some really small ones that were hard to replant. Um, so just do the best you can. It's not going to be perfect. It's a little challenging. Um, just do the best you can and see how you do. And I plant them, I planted mine pretty close together. I think usually you're supposed to plant them like maybe eight or nine inches apart. Um, but that's kind of hard to say because of the, because the rhizomes are long and skinny. So um, I kind of put mine like, I guess I put like a fist between each one um, and replanted them. I didn't really, I'm not a very exacting gardener, so I didn't really measure them or anything like that. I just put them back in a way that I felt would look good. And 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 I plant, replanted them until I got tired of planting them because I had so many. Um, 
I just wanted to stop at one point. So, and then I gave away uh, the rest of them. I did, some of them did end up in the compost that, you know, had holes in them or were chewed or were really, really small. Um, but I gave away a whole bunch of them. And that's what's really fun about irises is they make great pass along plants. And that's the term for plants that reproduce themselves um, that you can divide like that and pass along to friends. So it's a really fun thing. It's part of our, you know, Texas history of having these plants that uh, people brought over from Europe with them and have kind of become uh, land races here where they've become ad- adapted to uh, Texas conditions. And they're really lovely. And mine are white, but I know a lot of people have purple, blue ones um, with the yellow yellow strip on them. So, yeah, they're a lot of fun. And uh, I actually made my group a little bit smaller, too. They were starting to take up more room in the garden than I wanted. So that's the irises. Um, If you have other types of irises, it's a real similar... Uh, process for thinning them like I have Dutch irises too and their bulbs are very different Um, they look a lot different from the bearded irises and I haven't I haven't had the uh, occasion to thin them yet Um, I haven't had them long enough for them to get crowded so but they're really they've been great for me too the Dutch iris I really like all of them bloom really early in the spring um, and have foliage through the winter, which is nice. So, all right. And that listener says, thanks so much. And you're so welcome. Thanks for writing in. And all of y'all can call me or text me with gardening questions at 512-836-0590. My name is Colleen Dieter. And I'm a landscape consultant at atxgardens.com. That's ATX as in Austin, Texas. Today is a very special day for me because uh, it's the day of my alma mater's football rivalry game. I'm wearing my Buckeyes shirt today. I'm ready. Of course, I went to a college that's named after a tree, right? The mascot is the Ohio State Buckeyes. And I wanted to tell you all a little bit about Buckeyes. Um, There are several different kinds of Buckeyes that grow in Texas, including this one, talking to you. (laughs) And uh, there's Mexican Buckeyes that are lovely early spring blooming trees with pink flowers And then um, they get yellow fall color, too, which is quite nice. And then you've got your red buckeye that is native here, too. And they grow in waterways. The red buckeyes grow in waterways. Um, They have a really short bloom early spring. And then they lose their leaves pretty fast. So they just look like sticks. A lot of the year, but they're beautiful for really important for hummingbirds. So more on that after the break. See you in a minute. 
This is Horticulture Hangover with Colleen Dieter. Call or text your lawn and garden questions to 512-836-0590. Good morning, y'all. This is Colleen Dieter. I'm a landscape consultant here in Austin, and you can find more about out about me at atxgardens.com. And a couple of listeners have texted over the break. Thank you so much. Um, somebody sent me a picture of a beautiful pink flower and said, this gorgeous wildflower popped up in the back 40. It's a tad blurry, but hopefully you can ID it. If not, I'll try to get a better shot before the show ends. And I love this picture that you sent of this little wildflower growing right next to prickly pear cactus. And they say it's blooming now. And yeah, I saw this same wildflower um, when I was last last week, I was at Vista Brewing Company out in Dripping or Driftwood area um, with Leah, who used to be on the show. Y'all might remember Leah Turner of the Horticulturati podcast. And we were at a, a really fun dinner out there at Vista Brewing, where it was with the uh, Central Texas Mycological Society fundraiser for them. So it was all mushrooms, uh, mushroom dinner, which was great. And we saw this wildflower at Vista too. And we're, we were trying to ID it actually. Um, and we were, we had trouble uh, trying to figure out what it was. Best I can say is that it's a wild four o'clock. Um, and so I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, it's either a wild four o'clock or it's some kind of mallow in the mallow family. Um, little pink flowers, uh, grows real low to the ground. It's very showy. Um, and I don't remember ever seeing anything with pink flowers like that blooming in the fall before. Um, so that's pretty neat. It must be having a really good year since Leah and I noticed it. And then now you're sending this picture in. Um, and we tried on the apps, the ID apps, you know, and uh, I think some kind of wild four o'clock was the verdict, final verdict, but I still wasn't 100% sure. And four o'clocks are great plants um, that they're called four o'clocks because they bloom in the afternoon. Uh, that's when the flowers usually open. They don't always tell time very well, but uh, usually they bloom in the afternoon. The flowers open in the afternoon and then close at night and um, close in the heat of the day. So um, that's pretty neat. If you can send other pictures of the close up of the leaves, that would be helpful. I might be able to get a better angle uh, on that. So that's really cool. Um, let's see. Then someone else wrote in and said, Go Bucks. Our son-in-law is from Painesville, Ohio. He lives there now, wearing red right now, I'm sure. Is there a Buckeye that grows here I could get for him? Um, 
yeah, I think the red buckeye that grows here also grows in Ohio, too. Um, it needs to live near water, uh, even if it's a stream that it's a sometimes stream would work fine, like a sometimes creek where it, it's a you know wet weather creek or um, in a landscape that's irrigated. They need a lot of water, and just so you know, they lose their leaves. Uh, they get their leaves early. They get their leaves early in the spring with beautiful red flowers um, in March, and then they keep their leaves until about June, and then they lose their leaves, and that's pretty much it. So they're really just springtime trees. Um, unless they're in a place with a lot of water, um, they're sensitive to the heat here in Texas, even though they're native here. That's how they adapt. So um, they need to grow in shade. So they're a lot of fun, the red buckeye. Yep, you got it. And they also are available in yellow. Um, out in the hill country, there are wild populations with yellow flowers that are really cool. So yeah, there you go. Go Bucks today. And this listener says, good day for me too. It's my birthday. Happy birthday, listener. That's great. And they're saying, hope my Texas Aggies pull off a win. Well, I'm a UT fan. And I know we're not facing off these days, but it sounds like in the future we will be. But I hope they win for you today on your birthday, too. And thanks for cheering for my Buckeyes as well. So I'm so excited for the game. I can barely stand it. Um, but I got to talk about plants here, which is my other obsession, all right, let's see. I got a couple of texts coming in. Someone asked, oh, Steve, Steve and Leander. Thanks for listening, Steve. Um, please say more about the kinds of mist flowers. Flower color, sun or shade, water and native. Thanks. Yeah, Steve, there's so many different kinds of mist flowers and they are kind of confusing. I wrote a blog um, on, on my website, I have a blog entry at atxgardens.com. If you go to the blog and then scroll back uh, in history a ways, I wrote a blog entry about all the different kinds of mist flowers because um, I find them kind of confusing to keep straight. And uh, recently, the the plant taxonomists uh, changed a bunch of their scientific names too. So it's really easy to get them all confused. Um, so I'm going to name a few, the few of the more common ones that grow around here. And then if you need to reference it in the future, you can go to atxgardens.com and look at my blog uh, for future reference where I laid them out so that I could remember them. Okay, so the most popular one that you see the most often is Greg's mist flower. And the Greg's mist flower is kind of 
It's low growing and it spreads, it runs along the ground. It's almost like a ground cover, but it's a little taller. When it blooms, it gets, the flowers are about 18 inches tall. When it's not blooming, it's more like maybe a foot or less, okay, in height. And they have underground runners, so they spread wide along the ground. And they have blue flowers usually. Now and then you see white ones. And when I say blue, it's kind of like a lavender-y, purpley blue. And um, that one has deeply lobed or like divided leaves. And it likes to grow in full sun. And I use that plant to compete with weeds. So if I have a, an area where I'm designing that has a lot of Bermuda grass in it, I will plant Greg's mist flower because it will compete with the Bermuda grass because it's such an aggressive grower. Um, it's great. You can mow it in the winter after it dies back um, again in February. Uh, so it's easy to care for, or you can just cut it down. And that one attracts a lot of butterflies. It's really great. So that's the Greg's mist flower. Okay. Then there's a fragrant mist flower that is white and it is a woody shrub. Okay. So it's completely different and gets about oh, three or four feet tall and wide at the biggest. They're really great for cascading down hills or over walls. And they're blooming now. They have, they bloom later in the fall. The um, Greg's mist flower blooms earlier. Okay. So um, they're very fragrant. They're blooming right now and they smell wonderful. Um, and I'll tell you more after the break. Welcome to Horticulture Hangover on News Radio KLBJ. You're in the right place to get answers to all of your questions about your lawn, garden, trees, and more. Now, here's your host, Colleen Dieter. Good morning. This is Colleen Dieter with ATXGardens.com, and this is the Horticulture Hangover Show. And we've got a caller. This is Todd in Round Rock. Hey, Todd, you're on the air. Hello, Colleen. Hi. Nice to speak to you. Hey, I had a question regarding, I, I've got some pretty thick yopon in a uh, an area out in Lee County. Oh. Um, it's very sandy. The yopon's very prolific. And I'm trying to find a, a decent way to, without too much manual labor to get rid of them. Okay. Or at least thin them out. And I was told about a product, I don't know how um, good it is environmentally, mm. uh, Tordon. Mm -hmm. um, basically, it sounded like you just, you kind of cut the, you cut the, you cut it down to a stump and then you, you paint the, mm -hmm. this, this product on there. Mm-hmm. And it kills the roots. Okay. So have you, do you have any experience with that? Yeah, I have some questions for you, though. Um, what's 
What's wrong with the yopons? Well, they are so thick. Okay. You cannot, you can't walk through, you can't drive through. Okay. You can't walk through. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they, they, they just, um, I was thinking that the big storm uh, of, you know, kicked them back a, a little bit, but that just made them more prolific. So, okay. Uh, with the weight of the snow that we had, um, year or two ago, I guess. Yeah. And and they just cover up all the walkways, and there's no pathways anymore, and they're they're growing into it's 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 very very thick. Okay. Extraordinarily thick. That's all you see. Okay. Um. So, and I, I'm not wanting to remove all of them. Yeah. Just to make some some areas where you can traverse. Okay. Okay. That, okay, that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, because they spread through runners a lot of time underground, they'll have roots, they'll, they'll send up new stems from the roots. Um, and that's one yeah. of the ways that they spread to make a thicket <clears throat> like that, a big group like that. Yeah. So, um, one thing about just to be careful about using a chemical like that, that's like a stump killer kind mm -hmm. of chemical, is that because they, all of those plants are connected underground, um, if you use a systemic stump killer like that, the, it can kill the whole stand. So it won't okay. kill just the ones that you cut down. Um, and okay. unfortunately, unfortunately, I don't know of any stump killer that will kill, you know, there's that technology doesn't exist to be able to kill just the stump that you cut down, you know, so there's a possibility that it could at least damage the rest of the, the group because they're all connected underground. Um, yes. so unfortunately in some ways it's kind of like an all or nothing situation with the chemicals. Um, well, as thick as they are, it, that that might be a good thing. Okay, <laughs> I don't know if it's going. We're talking acres. Of okay. And, okay. Um, yeah. And of course, I don't want to deter the the wildlife that yeah trees, but I know that depends it, on them. If it were uh, my place, what I would do, if possible, is I would cut down. Um, the paths, cut the paths that you want to cut. And then, mm -hmm. uh, and then what I would do is either maintain those pathways by mowing, uh, you know, at least once a month mowing those areas to keep the trees cut down. Um, yes. Or I would use the sheet mulching method, which might not be practical if it's a huge area, but could be practical in a couple spots where you cover the uh, sprouts with cardboard and a real thick layer of wood chips and then walk on yes. that part. Yep. And that would work well, that, for a while. That was my idea is to, was to cut the, cut them down to a stump and try yeah. to, instead of trying to dig the root out. Yeah. And then, cause some of these are up to three inch. Oh, okay. The base. So uh -huh. Big, big. Yeah. Um, so cut that off. Yeah. Run it through a shredder, and then use that to coat the yeah. path. And yeah. Um, but 
does the the root killer material mm-hmm. jump from tree? It wouldn't jump from tree to tree, would it? Only if you spilled it. You know, so you had to be really careful because the tree roots are everywhere, you know. Um, So your other trees that are more valuable are going to have their roots in that area, too. So that's why dabbing it onto the stumps um, is really important and not spraying is really important because definitely if you spray or you spill it or drip it, um, then it could damage your other trees, too. Okay. Mm-hmm. So just, and it, it, well, there's some situations where there's a a hackberry. Mm-hmm. Imagine that coming up in the between, mm-hmm. you know, a, mm-hmm. a valuable tree. Mm-hmm. And I wondered about using it on that. Mm-hmm. But is that going to, it sounds like as long as I don't drop it. Yeah. It's dodgy. Yeah. You just have to be really, really careful. And um, okay. yeah. And I'm, I'm always trying to persuade people to keep hackberry trees if they're not near structures. Um, and you can trim the hackberry away from the other more valuable trees. Um, yes. I, the hackberries are really important for insects. Habitat. Yeah, really important habitat. So if you can keep hackberries where they're not near structures and they're not destroying a fence and they're not rubbing on other trees and you can trim them away from other trees, um, try to keep them because uh, they are really important. There's certain butterflies that only eat hackberry leaves and they are oh, native okay. here. So yeah, they are native here. A lot of people think that they're invasive, but they're an important part of our ecosystem too. So yeah. I can, you know, I can save you a little bit of work. Not having to cut it down. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, I know that it's the, it's the, it's the, they're always along the fences. Yes. In every neighborhood in yep. town. Yeah, so. yep. that's right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, good luck, Todd. Thank you so well, much for you your so call. Much. Yes. Yeah. I appreciate your help. Okay, have Very a great well. day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, and now we've got Paul from South Austin on the line. Hi, Paul. Hey, good morning, Colleen. How are you? Good morning. Good. How are you? Oh, good. I had two questions, really. I had um, some red-tipped petunias that were probably aged out. They're pretty big, uh-huh. and they totally went brown with the droopy leaves look, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. thinking, all right, is it time to take those out uh, and, and replace them with something else, or is it possible that they might come back in the spring? Uh, and then the second question would be, uh, in, in some of the native area that I have on the property that has some yopons as well uh they browned over the summer because mm. it was a section that didn't get any watering okay and some of them have I've dropped their leaves which i know they don't ever drop their leaves really yeah. and so i'm like uh do i take those out and and let the other ones kind of grow into that space or is it possible that maybe those uh would would come back in the spring so that's kind of what i'm wondering Okay, with the photinias, they are dead, 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 and they're probably not going to come back. So you should definitely take them out and replace them with something yep. native. Okay. Um, like yopons. Uh, the, and then the second question, the yopons, um, I would just cut the dead parts out, cut the parts that lost their leaves and they're pretty likely to grow back from the ground uh, now that the weather has changed, especially in the spring. 
So uh, and then right. the other let the other ones grow in. And then when I remove those red tips, there's uh, mm -hmm. those fotinias. Um, they I've got some Peter elms and, and a couple of um, other trees that have kind of have canopy over the top. What would be something that would get uh, kind of the afternoon sun, partial sun uh, through the mid part of the day that would be a good screener? Yeah. Uh, maybe that would grow, grow up to like, I don't know, 10, 10 or 15 feet tall uh, that would kind of be a good screen block. Southern wax myrtles are a great choice. You can try some wax myrtles or again, the uh, weeping yopons can be a lot of fun. I like those a lot, but Paul, I'll name a few more after the break, but I'm going to get off the phone with you because we got to go to a break. But thanks so much for your call. Thanks, thanks Colleen. Okay, bye-bye. This is Horticulture Hangover with Colleen Dieter. Call or text your lawn and garden questions to 512-836-0590. Hey, y'all. This is Colleen Dieter with the Horticulture Hangover Show. I'm a landscape consultant here in Austin. Uh, and you can check out my services and my blog at atxgardens.com. And we've got a couple of people writing in about this pink mystery wildflower, which is really cool. Someone else sent in a picture and said, is this it? And uh, yeah, it's the same flower, this little pink, beautiful little beauty. And um, Tim in Georgetown, yeah, wrote in with more photos of this little pink wildflower that is mysterious to me. I'm still sticking with my theory that it's a wild type of four o'clock, um, that it would be related to our garden four o'clocks that are bigger Plants, the uh, garden four, four o'clocks are taller and have bigger flowers. Um, but these flowers are really similar in structure to the garden four o'clocks where they have the um, stamens that stick out far above the petals um, because they're pollinated by hummingbirds and uh, insects with long uh mouth parts <laughs> like proboscis of a moth for example and um, and so the pollen the part of the flower that makes the pollen sticks way out from the petals so that the animals when they come by to pollinate and they stick their beaks in that flower um, the pollen gets rubbed off onto the insect's body or the animal's body so it's pretty cool. Um, something like that. And I believe Leah posted it on iNaturalist when she and I saw it at Vista Brewing. Um, and uh, we'll see if anyone on iNaturalist will be able to confirm our ID. And um, we'll get to the bottom of this mystery. But And uh, someone else, oh, Tim in Georgetown said he's been it's been 25 years out there in Georgetown, and this is the first time he's seen this wildflower. And yeah, I mean, I'm a you know, pretty avid wildflower watcher and been here you know, for 25 years too, and I can't, I've never seen this pink one before in the fall. So that's really cool. 
isn't gardening great? You're always learning something new. Um, there's always more to know and always new plants to discover, even in our native Texas plants. So exciting. Don Bennett, my buddy Don, wrote, and he has a picture of his purple magnolia. Don says, it still has some damage from the heat. Should I go ahead and trim this back at this time? Um, Don, I think I see that there's drought stress on this tree. Don sent the picture of the purple magnolia and it has, it's burned on the tips, you know, it's brown on the edges and that's definitely um, from the heat. And no, Don, just wait. Um, the best time for tree trimming is coming up. Um, you'll want to do it more in the winter, like uh, after the tree goes dormant. They're not quite dormant yet. So um, about a month from now, late December, January, February is the time. Um, I can't remember if purple magnolias lose their leaves or not. I think this type will drop its leaves. Um, there's some magnolias that lose their leaves and there's some magnolias that don't. And I'm pretty sure the purple ones do. Um, and you'll know after it loses its leaves that it's time to trim it. The southern magnolias, you know, the ones with the shiny leaves, they keep their evergreen. But this purple one, I think, loses its leaves in the winter. So that's a cool tree, Don. Um, keep me posted. And let's see, someone else texted and asked... Oh, yeah. So thanks, Don, for listening and for your text. And then, um, oh, someone else wrote in asking to re for me to repeat the, the wildflower question. Um, so we've been talking about this beautiful pink little wildflower that I saw. And a couple of listeners have sent pictures in today of this pink wildflower that they've been seeing. And um, I believe that it is some sort of wild four o'clock um, because of the shape of the flower um, and the color because it's pink, but also because the stamens on the flower are sticking out further away from the flower than the petals. So it's the stamens are up over the petals and that's so that the insects and animals when they come to pollinate it the pollen will get rubbed onto the animal and then that animal will carry the pollen from flower to flower and the leaves also have the same shape as a garden four o'clock but they're different from the garden four o'clocks that have been bred to be big um, and have be taller and have bigger flowers and bigger leaves so um, that's my best guess, and I'm hoping that we'll get more information from iNaturalist because I believe Leah posted it on her iNaturalist, um, and uh, we'll be able to get some confirmation on the ID there. So if I learn more, I'll, I'll tell you all on the show for sure. But that's my guess, and I'm going to research a little bit more to find out, but I just think it's delightful that, you know, we could all be gardening here for years and years and years and suddenly 
see a wildflower that we've never seen before is really cool. I love gardening for that reason. There's so much to learn and so much fun. Um, And so I want to go back to Paul's question when he called and I had to kind of cut him off because of the um, break. And Paul, thanks for calling. Um, He was asking about, you know, what he could replace his photinias with. And, you know, this is a really common problem. Photinias are susceptible to fungal diseases and it spreads really easily. So if you have a whole hedge or a big group of photinias and one of them gets this fungal disease that they're susceptible to, uh, it just spreads through the whole group. And the drought this summer uh, will stress the plants if they have the infection. They can kind of live with the infection for a while. But if there's extreme heat and drought, then the fungal infection on top of that will kill the plant. So it's a really common problem with people having to replace photinia hedges and, you know, wanting something similar. And um, I wanted to name a few other plants. It's cherry laurels, I think, would be a good choice, too. Um, but it wouldn't be my top choice because uh, I think they can also be susceptible to that same disease. Um, and if it's in the soil, it's possible that cherry laurels could get it. I think it's unlikely, but I'm always a little hesitant to replace photinias with cherry laurels. Um, I would do wax myrtles or yopons or another type of holly. Um, You know, you could do like a Nellie Stevens holly. Um, So check those out. we're running short on evergreen shrubs now that do well. We used to have uh, pittosporums as a landscape staple, especially in central Austin. But a lot of people's uh, pittosporums died over the last few years so because of the cold. So thanks so much, y'all, for listening. It's the end of our show. I'm Colleen Dieter with atxgardens.com. Have a great day and go Bucks.